be seated. Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Well, it's good to be back with you once again. And we're going to start out here. I need a little assist. So if you are regularly in Gospel Hope Kids, kiddos, if you are regularly in Gospel Hope Kids, I need you right down here. There's three rows right here. Some of you can sit by Pastor Rod. Some of you right here. Come on down. Come on down. Come on. Move, 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 move. Hey, we don't got all day, guys. Come on. Come on up here. Yeah. We are starting. Nobody wants to sit by Pastor Rod. I mean, his, his feelings are hurt, guys. Come on, guys. Right down here. Right down here on these first couple rows. Come on. Great. I'm going to need your help in just one minute. All right. Good, good, good. Aren't you thankful for these little ones that God's trusted to, to us? Hey, guys. We are starting a brand new series here from the book of 2 Corinthians. So the title of the sermon series is called Generous. And the subtitle is Pursuing God's Mission Together. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be working through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 and recognizing that really as we pursue God's mission, we need one another. So to illustrate that, I'm going to let the Gospel Hope kiddos here help me for just one second. Nicholas, why don't you come up here, buddy? Can you come up here? Come stand right up here. Yeah, man. So Nicholas, you know what this thing is right here? You know what? Right here. Right, I mean, you, you ready to preach? That's all right. Okay, yeah. Um, you know what this is? Anybody know what this is? It's a parachute. All right, Nicholas. All right, can you make it go way up in the air? Go ahead. All right, all right, okay, that was all right, that was all right. But I, I feel like we can do a lot better. So um, one more time, try one more time, see if you can make it go up in there. One, two, three. All right, all right, good effort, Nicholas. Now, that's pretty big, isn't it? It's kind of hard to do it all by yourself, isn't it? So I think we got probably some help here. So Gospel Hope Kids, can you guys come up here and everybody get a side here? Everybody get one. All right, all the way around, all the way around, all the way around. All the way around. Here we go. Spread out, spread out, spread out. Some on this side over here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We need some of you. Slide this way, slide this way, slide this way, guys. All right, there we go. Right there. Fill in that one right there. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Ready? Sometimes they do. We're not doing that right now, but good idea, yeah. Okay, so we're going to, on one, two, three, we're all going to go up together, okay? You guys ready? One, two, three, up. Whoa, down, whoa. Oh, you got to hang on. Get, your, get, get hold of that. You're not pulling your weight over there, guys. Ready? Got a grip. Don't worry about the handles, guys. Just grab right on here like this. Ready? We're going to do it a couple times this time. One, two, three, up. Good, down. One, two, three, up. Whoop. Down. One more time. One, two, three, up and let it go. Let it go. Naraya, you didn't let it go. <laughs> All right, give these guys a round of applause. All right, great job. You guys can go back to your seats. But listen, kiddos, was it easier together or all by yourself, Nicholas? Together. together. It was easier together. Why? Because the parachute is big. Now, here's the idea. You guys can sit down there if you want. You can go really listen up there. You can go back to your parents if you want. Or you can sit right there. That's the best spot in the building. Lemmy's, Lemmy's going all in right now. All right, he's taking notes. 
It's like, tell me that passage again, Pastor Ryan. The idea is simply this. In Matthew chapter 28, the Lord gave us the Great Commission. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel or make disciples. That is a gigantic mission. It's bigger than any one individual. It's bigger than any one church. It's bigger than even any one like denomination of churches. It is such a massive task that it takes all of us working together to see that mission go forward. Oh, oh okay, I'm a mess of playing, okay. And that's the idea of this series, that the only way that we are going to pursue God's mission is together. It's too big for any one of us. Uh, we learn that in this passage of scripture. There's a great story from church history about this. William Carey, who was one of kind of the first English missionaries ever sent out, left from England to go to India to take the gospel there. And when he went, he realized, man, I'm going here and there's no way I can do this mission all by myself. So a pastor friend of his famously said something of this nature. If you will go down into the pit, we will hold the ropes. Well, what is that acknowledgement? It's the acknowledgement that the mission of God is not for one of us. We all have a part to play. You might not be a goer, but if not, you better be a sender. We all have a role to play in God's global mission and we pursue it together. And we're gonna be looking at that the next couple weeks as we look at this series, Generous, how God uses our generosity to push the mission forward. So the title of the message this morning is simply this, the grace of giving. Can we pray before we dive into God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for what you've already done. Thank you for your goodness and grace in saving us. I pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In the G name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Complete this phrase. Ready? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's actually an old German phrase. That's where its origins are. And it means... In your desire to get rid of something unwanted, don't accidentally throw out something wanted. I bring that up this morning because I feel like Christians, well-meaning Christians, people of faith, people that follow Jesus and want to, unintentionally sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to giving and the church. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, We've all sadly, unfortunately, even tragically, been exposed to excesses in regard to giving and the church. What do I mean by this? We see the guy begging for money on TV and then flying around in a multi-million dollar jet. We sadly watch somebody in the name of the church say, I need more money and kind of sit on a golden throne. And so in our hearts, we say, that's not right. We don't want anything to do with that. That seems excessive and an abuse of the giving of God's people. And so unintentionally, we see these excesses trying to throw them out. And we, at the same time, sadly, throw out some of our generosity. We stifle our giving because of the excesses. And I want to argue this morning that based on the testimony of Scripture, we need to be careful. 
We need to be careful that we don't throw out the baby, Christian generosity, with the excesses, the bathwater of people spending and using God's money in evil and wicked ways. In fact, when you look in this passage of scripture here, Paul refers to the generosity of God's people in an extremely profound and instructive way for us. Look at what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the, look at what it says, grace of God that was given. Catch that phrase? We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of, what's it say? Generosity. What's it say? Generosity on their part. Did you catch it? God gives the Macedonian churches grace, and that grace results in what? Generosity. Wow. That's a significant statement there. If I could really summarize it simply, it would be this then. God gives to us so that we can give to others. Grace given to the churches of Macedonia... And the result, generosity. Um, What this means then is that our giving is not simply something that God commands, like you better give. Our giving is actually something that God enables. God doesn't just command us to give. He actually, through his grace, enables us to give. Or if I could say it a different way, Our generosity is fueled by God's grace. Anytime we give, anytime we exercise true Christian generosity, it is fueled by the grace of God. Let me kind of give you an illustration that I want you to hold in your mind throughout the whole message. Think of a nice car. It can be the nicest car, your dream car, if it would. Uh, Maybe it's fancy, brand new, off the lot. I don't know what car you have in mind, but picture that car. That car can be the most expensive, the most loaded, have the most features, the most up-to-date car in the world. And yet, in order for that car to go down the road, typically underneath the hood, there's this thing called the what? Engine. And that engine, no matter how finely tuned it is, No matter how cutting edge it is, that engine will not do one bit of movement of the car unless it has fuel. The only way that car will move down the road is the engine receives the fuel, the engine then turns the tires and the wheels make it go down the road. Here's what I want you to think about. The mission of God, I would argue, is kind of like the car. The mission going down and advancing down the road, making disciples of all nations. The engine in that car, I would say, is the generosity of God's people. God's people helps the mission of God advance down the road. But the fuel, the fuel that makes the motor go is the grace of God. In other words, the gasoline, I just realized that like Tesla exists now and so this kind of ruins my illustration, but... 
scratch that. <laughs> the gasoline that is poured in to the motor of our generosity is the grace of God. All of our giving is fueled by the grace of God. This is why Paul can say, now as you excel in everything, he's talking to the Corinthians. So this is a church that is very gifted, that's been generous. This is a church that he's expecting is gonna respond. And he says to them, you guys have excelled in everything. You've excelled in faith, you've excelled in speech, You've excelled in knowledge. You've excelled in all diligence and in your love for us. And then he says one more thing. Now I want you to excel in giving. But he doesn't say giving. He says, I want you to excel in this act of what? Grace. You see the point? He's saying God has given you grace so that you can be generous to others. This whole passage is about Paul asking them to give financially. And he's saying, but it's actually, your giving is actually fueled by the grace of God that has been given to you. Which leads me to my point this morning. We must excel in grace-fueled generosity. For to follow the example of the Macedonians, we need to excel in grace-fueled generosity. You say, well, that, what does that look like, Pastor Ryan? Well, glad you asked. I think Paul gives us some important principles about what it looks like to have grace-fueled generosity in our lives. But before I do that, I need to give you a little bit of context so you understand what's going on. So 2 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. So he's writing this letter. And apparently during this time, some sort of tragedy has struck the church at Jerusalem might be a famine, it might be some sort of plague, it's bad, whatever. And the, the church at Jerusalem, they need relief. So Paul is going to the other churches and saying, would you help out? Would you help the church? The mission has to go forward. It's being stifled over here in Jerusalem. These people are in trouble. Would you give to the people of God for the advancement of the mission of God? So he goes to Macedonia. And that's churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He goes to these churches and they say, yes, we are in, we are giving. And then Paul writes the letter to the Corinthians and he's like, look, hey, the churches at Macedonia already helped out. Would you guys help out too? That's his cause for appeal. So he's pleading with them to be involved in advancing the mission of God, serving the people of God by their financial gifts. So from this episode, we can clearly glean some clear principles about generosity that I think remain incredibly relevant for us today. Let me give you three characteristics this morning of grace-fueled generosity. First one is this. Grace-fueled generosity is for everyone. It is for everyone. So in encouraging the Corinthians to give... Paul cites the example of the Macedonians. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 again. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, in Corinth, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now notice how he describes their situation. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Whoo. 
So the churches in Macedonia are struggling. Something's going on. There's affliction. It actually says they're impoverished. And yet, in spite of that, they gave. And they gave generously to the mission of God and the people of God. This reminds us of a critically important concept. Sometimes we can think that generosity, graciously giving to the Lord, is reserved for those who are flush with cash. Sometimes we think, oh, you know who should be generous? The people that got more than me. You know who we always consider rich? The people that got a little more than us. I'm not rich. They're rich. And then they say, oh, I'm not rich. You know who's rich? They're rich. I don't know who Elon Musk says is rich. I'm not sure if he's like, Bezos, that guy's rich. I'm just getting by. No, but Paul is saying here, no, the Macedonians, man, they're in affliction. They're in poverty. And yet the grace that was given to them overflowed in a wealth of, what's it say? Generosity. What does that mean? The implication is very, very plain, and it is simply this. Generosity is not a responsibility reserved to a few. It is an opportunity open to all. Generosity is not just for the folks that are balling in our church. Generosity is the privilege of every follower of Jesus. The Macedonians had every reason to deselect themselves. Oh, they've been Christians longer than us. That's Jerusalem. Oh, they're struggling. We're struggling too. But instead, they, they, they didn't just give. They insisted on giving. And Paul commends them for it. The Macedonians recognize that generosity is not contingent on your circumstances. Can I say that again? Generosity is not contingent on your circumstances. What is more, the text tells us that they gave with abundant joy. So they're hurting, they're struggling, and somehow, in some way, these folks who were suffering affliction didn't just give. They said, Paul, you better let us give. And they gave in such a way that they were glad to do this. You better take this money, brother. What is going on? How could these folks who had every reason to say, not us, that's somebody else's job. Oh, 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 the folks over there in Rome, they're the ones with the real cash. They can do it. Oh, you know, you know, that, that church up the road, those guys in Ephesus, they're better off than us. They're a bigger city than us. We don't need to participate in this. What made them beg to be involved and do so with joy? I think what is going on is that the mission of God had captured the Macedonian believer's heart. I think that was going on. They were more passionate and burdened about the advancement of the kingdom than their own personal comfort. How do you know that? Well, remember the churches I said. What were the churches in Macedonia? Anybody paying attention? Remember? Berea, Thessalonica, and one more. Philippi. We got a book of the Bible written to Philippi. 
And Paul actually talks to these believers about their giving repeatedly. Look over in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 15. Look at what it says. And you Philippians know, so he's talking to this church that's given and given again, that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. In other words, Paul comes to Philippi, he's going out of town, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, oh no, you don't. You take this money with you, Paul. You take this money with you. And Paul's like, why? Because we are about the mission. Our church exists because you brought the gospel here and you are going and you're going to plant the gospel someone else. So take our money with you. The reason that they gave with joy because they were about the mission. You see that again in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3 and 5. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. So Paul rejoices in his thoughts about the Philippian believers. Why? Because of your partnership, including financial giving, in the gospel from the first day until now. Why did this church give even though they were impoverished? They gave because they were about the mission of God. When we are burdened about the mission, we want to participate. Nobody has to make us participate. We want to participate. And I remember when I was in college and I first kind of start to get the ministry itch and particularly started to really be burdened about the ministry of the local church. Like I started to get like theologically convinced of this idea that the church is plan A, it's how the mission goes for it. I started to get passionate about it. I was serving in this little country church as kind of like a volunteer youth pastor. They let me preach and were wonderful folks to me. And I remember they did some sort of sermon on giving. And um, the next week I'm sitting, like I had kind of purposed in my heart, okay, I know I'm in college. I really don't have a job right now. I'm a student. I'm just like working in the gym a couple hours a week but I'm gonna give, I wanna give because I'm about the mission of God through the local church. And I'm sitting there and somehow that week, I don't know how it happened, it was a gold rush, folks. I had a $20 bill in my pocket. (laughs) I mean, back when I was in college, when you got a $20 bill in your pocket, that was like like seven runs to Taco Bell. (laughs) I mean, that's how you're calculating the worth of that thing. And here's the thing, I'm sitting there on Sunday morning and I got no change. I got 20 bucks and no change. And the offering's getting ready to be passed. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I remember the wrestle of my heart. $20. It's not a lot of money. It's 20 bucks, right? It's $20. Nothing in the larger scope of things. But to me, it was a lot. I didn't have much at that time. But $20 meant a lot to me. And they're getting ready to plastic the plate. And I remember like thinking, can I make change? Would that be uncouth? I don't know. And then finally, I was like, no, like, I'm going to put this thing in here. And I did, and I'll tell you something, it's 25 years later. I still get like, get a little misty thinking about that. Because God just used that in my heart. Like, I want to be about the mission of God. Like, I wasn't a big sum of money, but I want to be about the mission of God. I'm all in on the local church. You know why? Because Christ is all in on the local church. 
This is his bride. This is his people. This is his plan for fulfilling the mission in the world. I want to be about that. Praise God, I got more than 20 bucks today. But we all need that 20 buck moment where we say, Lord, I'm in. And that's what happened in the Philippians' hearts. Paul, we don't got much, man. I don't, we're impoverished right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I'm going to buy grain in the future. I don't know what's going on, Paul, but you better take this money. Because we want to see the gospel go forward. And we want to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all in. And you know who that applies to? Everyone. You don't have to have a certain bank account to be generous. You just got to be all in on the mission of God. You might be in that severe trial of affliction. You might be impoverished right now. You can still participate. Isn't that good news? You have the privilege of participation in the mission of God. All of us do. So who is grace-fueled generosity for? It is for everyone. Number two, grace-fueled generosity is not just for everyone. It is beyond our ability. Look at the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 3. I can testify according to their ability and even, everybody look at the words on the screen, and even, what does it say? Beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Huh. The phrase there is, they gave beyond their ability. The Macedonians did not just give a stingy amount. They didn't give tuppence. The Bible says that they actually didn't just give according to their ability, they gave beyond their ability. In other words, they sacrificed. What is the implication of this? I think C.S. Lewis gives us good counsel. Look at what he says up on the screen. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. The Macedonians made their sacrifice, giving more than they could spare. They did it joyfully. Did you notice that in the text? They gave beyond their ability and they gave joyfully and willingly. They didn't need to be cajoled. They didn't need to be pressured. They gave lavishly because they wanted to. So what enabled the Macedonians to be generous? I think, I think again, that the Macedonians had a strong belief that God would provide. Where do I get that? Well, again, remember the Macedonians, this is the Philippian believers. Let's go back to the book of Philippians and look again what Paul said to them over in Philippians chapter number four. Here's what it says. And my God will supply, what's the word? What's the word? My God will supply your needs all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I think the Philippians understood that when they gave, God would meet them. 
Let's not forget the words of Jesus himself. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You may have heard the old adage, and I think it is biblically true, and I have experienced it personally as true. You cannot outgive God. God will meet you when you give generously and sacrificially, even beyond your means. And Paul makes this abundantly clear one chapter later. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 8, back in the text. Here's what he says. And God is able. Amen? Amen. And God is able to make every grace. Just hear these promises. Every grace overflow to you. So that in every way, always having Everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You get the point? God cannot be outgiven. He always takes the position of the giver. Like God never, he never, he never sees himself from that seat. Look, look. so if Rod tries to give something to him, Rod's like, hey, let me give generously to God. And God's like, oh, no, you don't, brother. <laughs> oh, you give to me, I give back to you. Now, it's not like you give $10, you get $100. That's, that's ungodly and unbiblical. But Rod gives $10, and God gives a hundredfold blessing in whatever way. And Rod's like, oh, oh, all right, Lord. I'm going to give you more then. And God says, oh, no, you don't. You will never be the giver to me. I will always be the giver to you. God is always the greatest giver. You cannot outgive him. Listen, listen. You can give beyond your ability. You can, but you cannot give beyond God's provision. That's impossible. You can give beyond your ability, but you cannot give out give God's provision. Listen, listen to me. Some of you never heard a message on money before. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, right? It's in the Bible. We're going to talk about it. But here's what I want to say. Gospel Hope Church doesn't really need your money. God's going to get the mission done with or without you. I'd just rather be on his team than against him. God doesn't want something from you in your giving. He wants something for you in your giving. And I just testify by the grace of God in my own life, when I have tried to groan in this way, God has shown up. And you've experienced it too, have you not? Sometimes you have given in your life and you've given more than you can spare. Everybody has at some point or another probably. You're like, man, I, this is going to hurt. Do you regret that decision? The answer is no. None of you do because you got, saw God provided. You're like, I know God today because of my sacrificial gift in a way that without that gift, I would not have known God. You know why God calls us to give? Because he wants to show himself strong in your life. He wants to show himself as the provider in a way that money never can provide for you. So God is not saying, give because I need you. Poor me, I'm bankrupt. God is saying, not give because I'm needy. God is saying, give because you're needy. 
You need to give because you want to see the strong hand of God in your life. And that is faith-fueled generosity undergirded by the grace of God in your life. Generosity is for everyone. And generosity, real grace-fueled generosity also is, I'm sorry, beyond our ability. Number three. Grace-fueled generosity is from the heart. Finally, and probably most importantly, notice the characteristic that is described here in verses 4 and 5. They, speaking of the Macedonians, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just as we had hoped. So they begged, and they said, please let us give. But they didn't just give like Paul had hoped they give. They did something even greater. Look at what it says very carefully in verse number five. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. You see, the Macedonians' generosity was an overflow of their worship. Before they opened their wallets to the believers at Jerusalem, they opened their hearts to the Lord. If you want to really be a generous person, if you want to be a person of generosity, you must recognize that your giving, your generosity must be an overflow of your worship. And that principle still applies today. Look. God wants your worship more than your wealth. God wants your worship more than your wealth. And this has always been true. When you look through the Old Testament, do you remember the rebuke that God has often given to his people in the Old Testament? They would bring him sacrifices and offerings. And God is essentially like, leave those stinking things back at the door if you don't get your heart right first. I don't want the sheep. I don't want the oxen. I don't want the ties. I don't want you to bring them into the storehouse unless you first and foremost bring me your heart. Here's what it says. Look at Psalm chapter 51. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrificing pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humbled heart. Hosea chapter 6, verse number 6. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. God is saying, I want your worship. Not your wealth. That's secondary. Your giving is an overflow of what's already happening in your heart. This brings up two really critical applicational points. The first thing is this. Giving cannot replace true worship. Now, for some of you, writing that check's easy. It ain't no thing. 10%, no problem. You can come in here for, for the past 10 years and write that check and drop it in the offering plate and your heart be completely hardened to the Lord. 
Because that's easy. I mean, any fool can do this. I could train my dog to do this. Now, is there a correlation between what we give and where our hearts are? Yes, and I'll get there in just a minute. But I want us to understand very plainly that the act of giving, the act of hitting give on the phone, the writing in the checkbook, the taking some bills from your pocket and putting them in there, that act alone, divorced from a heart that is united to God, is not worship. Now, the act of giving certainly should be an act of worship and can be an act of worship. And I would encourage you, even if you're not wholehearted in it, begin to do it as unto the Lord in an act of worship. Nevertheless, if you think that you simply giving your money in some way gives you intimacy with God, you are sadly mistaken because he wants more than just your tip. He wants you. He wants all of you. And is money, your money, part of you? Absolutely. But God is not satisfied with you simply putting your money in the plate, doing it on cash app, direct deposit, whatever it may be, that alone is not a replacement for worship. With me? Now, some of you don't need to hear that at all because you're not giving nothing. So you're not, that's not your struggle. Here's the part some of you need to hear. Giving is a revealer of your worship, right? You ever met somebody that's got a hobby they're passionate about? Fishing, fashion, football, food. Man, we could go all day, come on. That dog will hunt. How do you know that that person is passionate about that particular hobby? Well, first of all, they tell you everything about it that you don't want to know. But they tell you. They're, they're studying on it. They're doing research. They know about the stats, the figures, the latest, greatest equipment. They know when the sales are. They know what's going on in New York and the fashion show. They know all about that stuff. They are, their mind is fixated on it. You know how else you know that they really are passionate about it? Because they budget for it. Maybe they don't budget, but they spend on it, right? They got the new boat in the driveway, the new, the new driver in the bag. They got the new, the latest, the greatest clothes. They got the jersey on. They got the season tickets. Now, I'm not condemning this. All I'm simply saying is you know what a person is passionate about by watching the money. Listen, can you say this statement? Our money reflects our values. Can you say that? Our money reflects our values. Do you believe that? Our money reflects our values. Now, can I amend that and make it personal? My money reflects my values. Can you say it? My money reflects. I'm going to say reflects. You say the other part reflects, one more time, my, whoa, reflects, what's your values? You got a reflection sheet right there. It's your bank statement. It's your credit card. Your money 
will reveal to you what you value. I'm not saying this to condemn. I'm not at all. I believe like in 2 Corinthians, Paul's speaking to the Corinthians. He's like, you excel in everything. I believe you're going to excel in this too. That's, how, that's the posture I'm approaching this. Like, you folks love the Lord. I know you're going to excel in this too. I am confident of that. But I want to say something very clearly pastorally. Some of you guys need to take a good hard look at this. Not because God wants something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you to grow in ways that you haven't grown before. So he wants you to take a look at your generosity in a way of a reflection of your value. Sometimes it is really difficult to let go of the money in our hand. Listen, because we love it more than the one who gave it to us. We are constantly guilty of loving the gift more than the giver. Money is just one of those gifts. It can be all kinds of things in our lives. But one of the best ways we can begin to fight that thing that the Bible calls idolatry in our heart is to begin to release the gift back into the hands of the giver himself. God, you've been generous to me so I can be generous to others. That's the point. You gave me money not to allow money to get a foothold in my heart, but so that money revealed that I love you more than money. See the counterintuitive way? God is so wise. He's so kind to us that he would give us gifts. He would give us the gift that we could give right back to him in a way that honors him. Now, I'm not saying you need to be unwise or foolish, but let's be honest, that's not most of our impulse. Most of our impulse is not to give too lavishly. Most of our impulse is to give too little. And man, let me tell you this. If you, by giving too lavishly, bankrupted yourself, that'd be a good way to go out, wouldn't it? Be a good way to go out. As unto the Lord, that I am seeking to give first my heart and my priority and my passions to him and what I write in that checkbook or what I swipe that debit card with, man, that is just an overflow of what's going on in here. Now, I don't suggest it necessarily, but if this is true and right and good, man, our posture towards giving should be like, Gospel Hope, you are sent and we are running up here. Let me get that thing in there. I am excited to be about the mission of God and the people of God. What's that app again? Not being silly right now, but I want our hearts to be enthusiastic about giving because God is the ultimate giver. And he invites us to give in his kingdom. So you may hear all this and say, man, Ryan, that sounds awesome. I'd love to be like the Macedonians, but let me shoot straight with you. I don't feel that way one iota. It is really easy for money to get into my hands and work its way into my heart. I'll just be honest with you. Is there any hope for me to begin to change and transform and to truly be a person of, of grace-fueled generosity? The answer, praise the Lord, is yes. And it's right here in this passage, and it's the good news of this passage. Look back at verse number one.
we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the, what's it say? Grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Huh. So again, God gave the Macedonian churches grace so that they could be what? Generous. God gives them grace so that they could be generous. So this raises the question, what is that grace that God gave to them? What is the grace of God that led to this abundant generosity? Skip down to verse number 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know, for you know the, what's it say? You know the, you know the, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is where it gets good. So God gave the Macedonians Jesus, which enabled them to be generous. And the way that Paul frames the gospel here is he said Jesus, the one who was rich. And y'all, can I tell you something? Jesus was rich. He owns the universe. The galaxies are in the palm of his hands. He owns the cattle on the thousand hills and the hills and the countries and the planets and the space in which all those hills hang. He has abundant and infinite and never-ending wealth. And this Jesus, who was rich, here's what the Bible said, he became poor. Came to earth, lived as a common man, not just a common man, the son of a carpenter, was born in a manger. Bob said the son of man had no place to even lay his head. He was broke. The king of heaven came to earth and became poor. But Jesus' poverty was not just the fact that he came and lived with a poor family financially. Jesus' poverty was amplified when he hung on the cross. Because on hanging on the cross, what did Jesus bear? He bore the sins of the world. He bore the sins of people like you and I and the debt that was owed for them. So on the cross, God the Father looked down from heaven and he placed on Jesus my poverty and your poverty and all of our poverty. And Jesus became impoverished and impoverished and impoverished and impoverished and impoverished and impoverished. Ad infinitum times the number of people that would ever dare to trust in him. Jesus became bankrupt on the cross. And the Bible says that as Jesus hung between earth and sky, it was the Lord's will to crush him. He paid the debt. This infinite price that was owed by you and I, Jesus Christ, became poor for us. But that's not the end of the story. 
It doesn't just say Jesus became poor for us. It says, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. So as Jesus died, if you take this picture with me, he took in his hand anyone and everyone who would ever dare to put their faith in that glorious message and say, come on over here. I got your poverty. I paid your debt. I emptied your account. Now, I want you to come stand over here in my wealth. And by the way, here's my debit card. It is infinite. You thought your poverty was deep? My wealth is deeper. Your sins are many. His mercy is more. There is nothing on earth or heaven above that can, that can trump the wealth of the riches of the grace of God. We were poor. He became poor for us so that through his poverty, we might inherit his wealth. This is the good news of the gospel. And if you would dare to trust in this message, you are free. You are free from everything in one sense because there is so much in your bank account, you will never need anything again. And there's implications for this. If we've got all that wealth, y'all, we can hold the little pennant, penance that we have in our hands very loosely. I don't need the wealth of this world to be wealthy. I'm already filthy rich because I stand righteous in the righteousness of Christ. I don't need this stuff to make me feel satisfied. I have the riches of Christ. I don't need this stuff to make me feel important. I have the wealth of the King of kings and Lord of lords at my disposal. I don't need this stuff to be, to be my provision. I have the greatest provider of all time, and his name is Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus died to make you rich in all the ways that matter. Not in things that will last a lifetime. Forget about this idea of generational wealth. Talk about eternal wealth. That Jesus came to give his people that would trust in him. And what that enables us to do is be free from the love of money. It's just a blessing. It's just a blessing that we can turn back to him. Because he's already purchased for us and given us all that we need in the person and work of Christ how can you be generous? Look to Jesus. You say, man, I've been stingy. Well, there's one who has not been stingy to you. Let that reality free you. Let it change you. Let it transform you. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to be moving to the back right now. And I want to ask you to really respond in three ways this morning. Very simple. The first one is this. Will you receive the generosity of God? <laughs> Friend, if you have never been made free by Jesus becoming poor so that you might have his riches, would you receive that gift right now this morning? All you got to do is just cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I know I am bankrupt before you. I'm broke. But you came into the world to rescue me from my spiritual bankruptcy and to give me your riches. I trust in the work of Jesus, that he is enough for me. 
You lived the life I should have lived. You died the death I should have died. And I received that gift this morning. Would you do that even now, this morning, right now? Would you receive the generosity of God? He's been so generous. Second, would you remember the generosity of God in your life? Can you even now just begin to reflect on how God has been so gracious and generous to you? Don't let those things just slip through your fingers and forget all the goodness of God. He's been good to you 10,000 ways today. He's been so generous. This right here, that is a gift of the generosity of God because I deserve to go to hell now. He is so generous to us. Will you remember his generosity to you? And third, would you release the generosity of God? What do I mean by that? And I don't know where you're at. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you about this idea of financially giving to the people of God and the work of God. I don't know what he's saying in your heart. But would you just open up your hands? Just say, Lord, it's yours. It's all yours anyway. You're the giver. I just want to steward what you have entrusted me. Help me to release things so that I would be a generous steward of all that you have entrusted to me. That's going to look a little bit different in all of our lives. But I want to be like the Macedonians who gave themselves to the Lord. And because they did that, they were able to with joy and beyond their ability give sacrificially that the mission of God would go forward and the people of God would be blessed. That's what I want for my life. I know that's what you want for your wife as well. So will you just release that to the Lord? Here's what we're going to do. The worship team is going to come right now, and we're going to sing. And as we do that, man, if God's speaking to you about something, I'd encourage you. There are folks standing in the back right now. They would love to pray with you. Maybe you need to receive the generosity of God right now. You need to receive that in your life. Maybe you need to remember ways that God has been generous to you. Or maybe you need to release the generosity of God that he has given to you. So I want to urge you to respond appropriately. I'm going to pray, and then when we begin to sing, will you move in the back and let folks pray over you? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you preeminently for the gift of your son. Oh, God, you are so generous to us for our sake. You who are rich became poor. So that through his generosity, we may become rich in you. Lord, help us to embrace that truth, all of us this morning. God, make us generous. Make us grace-filled, generous people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, let's stand on our feet and worship the Lord.